One of the things that is a huge sidetrack and a huge value at the moment is technology. But how does technology interrupt our connections or even make them better? I've had a great conversation with someone who's had a lot to do with setting up leaders, setting up connections and communications, both via social media, face-to-face communications, and other ways of communicating. Let's find out what she has to say about connecting both with and without technology. Welcome to the Get More Success Show. He's a guy who never measured a man's success by the size of his wife. It's showtime. 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 And now, here is your host, Warwick Merry. Welcome back to another episode of the Get More Success Show. I'm your host, Warwick Merry. Now, today we have this absolute legend of connection and communication. And she has been, after working for 15 years in the private government, nonprofit sectors, she set up her own business in about 2016, specialised in, in uh, social media and social media for associations, and then evolved into seeing how important it is to connect more so than ever before. Would you please welcome to the show, the lovely Mel Kettle. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here, Warwick. Fantastic to have you on the show. Now, the first thing I have to ask you is what I ask everybody. How do you define success? Ooh, I've thought a lot about this over the years because originally, well, not originally, but early in my career, I defined success as how much money I made. And that was a challenge to me because I was in a job that paid not very much for an enormous amount of work. And the couple of times I did accept new roles, primarily based on money, I was miserable. They were just horrible experiences, horrible people, horrible everything. So, and then I had a massive health scare in my late twenties and it, it really turned my world upside down. So these days I measure success by how happy I am and how many elements of my life make me happy. Um, so am I happy and satisfied with the work I'm doing? Do I love the work I'm doing? Do I love the clients I'm doing it with and the people I surround myself with? Um, what is my family life like? Am I happy with that? And how's my health? Am I healthy? Um, do I feel satisfied in all those aspects? And if I do, then that's success to me. Fantastic. Hey, thank you for being honest about the money thing. Because I think there's a lot of people who who originally one of their drivers is money. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, it's all about how do I get more money? Uh, and then as we mature and our perspective is different, but there's a certain shame about questing after money. And I know some people are driven by money and it is about the money and that's okay. So thank you for your honesty around that. I think I should also say that I'm in a very fortunate financial position where money, like I have enough money to do, to live a life that I choose to live and I don't have to, I don't live from paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. I'm not scrounging. Um, and I think if I was, then my attitude towards money would be very different to what it is today. Yeah. Um, and I'm in the position I'm in because I've worked really hard and I've made some smart decisions with money. Um, but I also inherited a little bit of money when my parents died and that, again, I made clever decisions around what I was going to do with that. Yeah, so yeah. I think if I was on minimum wage and really struggling to live every day, then success to me would probably look quite different. Yeah. And that's, look, and that's a fair call. It's very much, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs in that 
if you're just looking for the basic foundations of shelter, food, and, and even clothes on your back, mm. and that's all you can really afford, and sometimes not even that, yeah. then definitely money's going to be a focus. It is. It is. But interesting you raise Maslow's hierarchy of needs because I've been doing a lot of reading around that and other things recently. And some research is now showing that even more fundamental to humanity, even more fundamental than water, food and shelter is that need to be connected with other people. And there's some fairly new research that's come out and I can't remember um, who did it or where I read it, but I'll dig out the link and I'll send it to you. And, and that's showing that our, our need for connection and our need to have relationships with people is more fun, is, is as fundamental, if not more so, than the other basic needs that Maslow used to talk about. Which is really interesting because if we talk about um, life hundreds of years ago, it was very communal. You know, it took a village to raise a child. It, there was, with less um, uh, physical prosperity, it, it was a real focus around the family unit. And you would have grandparents living either with you or near you, and you'd have a bigger family because they had to help look after the rest of the family. And now we're very individual. Like now there are more people living alone than ever before. We're using technology. We seem to be more distant than ever before. Men in particular don't seem to have friends. We have work associates. We have people we might play sport with, but actual friends, it's, it's most blokes I know, if they can count two people on as close friends, they're doing really well. So how do we get connected in this age? I think the first thing we need to do is put the technology down and put the screens down. Um, you know, watch less Netflix and go out more. Watch, spend less time on your phone when you're, and, and then spend less time on your phone when you are out. You know, the number of couples I see going out for dinner or for lunch or clearly on a date who both are on their phones for the majority of that time, it's no wonder we're so disconnected as a society when we just spend so much time using technology or allowing ourselves to be controlled by the technology. Um, last year, Reed Hastings, who's the CEO of Netflix, came out and said our biggest competitor isn't Amazon Prime or Hulu or any other streaming service. Our biggest competitor is that people need to sleep. And so how sad is that? <laughs> Oh my god! Well, that's a bit like Coca-Cola. Their biggest competitor was water, and yeah. so they then bought all these water companies. Yeah, yeah. and, and I know. yeah, wow! I know. The biggest competitor is sleep. Yeah, man, how dare you interact humanly? You should be talking and watching yeah. my 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 TV show. I know, but that's why Netflix has pop up. If you've been watching it for you know four, five, six hours, yeah, it'll pop up with a message that says, "Are you sure you want to continue watching?" Wow. Because maybe you fell asleep in the middle of whatever it was you were binging. Yeah. Wow. But I was, um, I recorded a podcast episode with my friend Dominic Quatuccio. He lives in New York and he does heaps of work around burnout and a lot of work around men, men's work and men. Um, he's got a podcast called Man Amongst Men where he encourages men to be the best they can be. And one of the things that one of his guests told him is that you can turn off on Netflix. You can turn off that, that um, automatically play the next episode feature. So you can go into the settings and you can say to Netflix, no, I don't want you to automatically play the next episode. So that I think might help yeah. people who just go, oh yeah, just one more, just one more, just one more. Because when yeah. you have to 
actually go back and click, yes, I, I want to watch one more and take that action, that's when your brain might go, oh, I've already seen four episodes. Maybe yeah, I should yeah. go to bed or maybe I should play with my kids or maybe I should go for a walk or do something that doesn't involve me staring at a screen mindlessly. Yeah. And and that's you make a really good point. You were talking to your friend in New York and, and for our listeners, you're based in Australia in Brisbane. And that so that shows that you can have good friendships using the technology, but it's when the technology drives you, as you said before. I've always thought the technology like fire is a brilliant tool and a poor master. Yes, Yet exactly. It feels like and and you and I have a more mature vintage. And so therefore the young people to be like, oh you old people don't understand it's using our phones. But a lot of the younger people get into technology before they've developed a lot of their brain function to be able to make better choices. So how and and you and I both not being parents therefore know all about how to raise kids. So how do we encourage kids to get off their phone? Because it really is a generational it, it will create a generational issue. So how do we help them connect better? Well you can't be what you can't see. And so if you live with, if you're, if you as parents or if you as um, anybody who plays an important role in a child's life or in a teenager's life or really in a, in a young adult's life, because mm. let's face it, anybody under the age of about 25 doesn't know what it's like to live in a world without the internet. And so if you're, in, if you're influencing the lives of some of those children and young adults, then if all you're doing is spending time on your phone, then what message is that sending to them? It says that it's completely acceptable to be on your phone at the dinner table, to be hours, spending hours watching Netflix, to be surreptitiously checking your phone when you're in business meetings. Yeah. So if you, you know, it, it, you, and this is why a lot of the work I'm doing at the moment around connection and engagement, it starts with you. You have to look at what are your behaviours, what are your attitudes, what are the actions you're taking. And if your actions include waking up in the morning when the alarm on your phone goes off and the first thing you do is you pick up your phone and you scroll through either social media or email or something else for the first half an hour, then that's teaching the other people in your household that that behaviour is acceptable mm. because that's what you're doing. And that must be the and same... Then, but, that must be the same for bosses in workplaces as well. If they're sending emails at 10 o'clock at night or at, um, and then expecting a response, then that's not sending a good message about the value that they place on the, the or essentially the health of their employees. Exactly, exactly. Or, you know, if you're in a meeting and the boss takes a phone call in the middle of it, but in the middle of it says, I'll come in the meeting right now, I can't talk. That, then that says that it's completely okay to have your phone on the table in a meeting and to allow it to interrupt you. Yeah. Instead of having it in flight. If you need your phone because you need a clock function or, some, or you know, the timer or something on it, put it in flight mode. Yeah. But better yet, just leave your phone on your desk on silent or lock it in a drawer or put it somewhere where you don't need it. Yeah especially if you've got two phones, like so many people today have a work phone and a personal phone. You don't need your personal phone at work. Yeah. And that's, and there is the technology means that we're always reachable and there's mm. always something going on. We're so busy, assumingly multitasking that we end up doing nothing. So I'm really keen to look at how do we connect better? So step one is basically step away from your phone be it particularly at night times, you know, leave it in another room or leave it out of reach. Um, and then in meetings, you know, have it either 
in your pocket or on silent mode or screen down or whatever. Oh, I love the restaurant one where you go to this. I've never played it, but I've heard of it. So it's on the internet. So it's got to be true where everyone <laughs> goes and you stack your phones up and whoever reaches for their phone first has to pay for the bill. I love that concept because there's a real driver. So we're putting that technology down. What else can we do to connect better? Oh, we can have conversations with people. What? And, and I know, but you know, and this is where, like, I'm not anti-tech. Like, I love technology. I love social media. And I love that it can provide you with opportunities to meet people and to have conversations with people and to get to know people who would never cross your path. Um, you know, I've been really active on Twitter for almost 11 years. And some of my closest friends are people I've met through that platform. So, but we've become close friends because we have conversations. And a lot of these conversations have only ever been online. Mm. Some of them have developed into face-to-face -face meeting each other in, you know, in person and strengthening the relationship that way. But talk to people, ask them how they are, find out things. If you're um, in an office or if you've got a team of people, don't just say, how are you? Because people will either say, I'm fine or I'm busy. And there's a whole lot more to people than being fine and busy. <laughs> In fact, quite often, you know, if you say fine, depending on the tone, that means you're busy. So <laughs> and I've always thought that fine stands for effed up, insecure, neurotic and emotional. So, you know, it's it's and it's a just it, it is a way to just brush off the question. So as well as, you know, ask not asking how are you for the token response. If someone does ask you, don't give a token response would be my thought. Exactly. But we're so conditioned to asking the question by rote and then moving on yeah. but you know if I was in an office a client's office a few weeks ago and oh, there were probably I don't know, 30 people in the office and there was one desk that was covered in little figurines and they looked like Star Wars figurines and I'm not a Star Wars aficionado by any stretch of anyone's imagination having never seen any of the movies from start to finish I don't but, know why I'm talking to you if that's how you feel towards Star Wars that is outrageous <laughs> So, but anyway, please continue. Star Wars figurines on the desk. I did recognise Han Solo and Darth Vader characters. So, oh, there you go. So I'm not total hopeless when it comes to Star Wars. But I have a question with people about things on their desks. So it's really obvious that this person likes Star Wars. So one of the questions that you could ask him, and I think it was him on a Monday morning, is which Star Wars movie did you watch on the weekend? Because you know somebody with that many has seen them all multiple times and probably does rewatch one of them most weeks or months. Yeah. There was somebody else in that office who had half a dozen photos of cats on their desk. So, you know, that person's a cat lady. So you could ask her, and this was a woman because she was sitting there. You could ask her, what are the names of your cats? What kind, what breed of cat is that? Where did you get your cats? How do you, um, you know, do they all live with you? Like, there's so many questions you can ask people yeah. so you can get to know who they are, other than how are you or how was your weekend? Fine and busy. You know, get away <laughs> from questions that have those two answers. Yeah. So what, so, about for, what about for some people who who don't care? Like, they don't, they don't want to have a, a beyond... Um, superficial relationship with some of the people that they work with. How do they get to connect? Because 
in, in my mind, it seems like, well, they're missing out because if you're only going surface level, you're not getting to know the depth of a person and that's where the gold is. Yeah. So there will absolutely always be people who don't care about their workmates. Um, what those people need to think about is what are their career goals and career ambitions? Do they have any? Do they want to stay in that same job for the rest of their working life or do they want to rise up through the ranks? If they want a position of leadership, they need to start caring about the people that they work with. There's just no two ways about it because if you want to have a position of leadership and have a, a team below you or that you that report to you that is engaged and productive and generates the revenue so that you hit your financial targets as a team and as an organization you need to know them yeah. because people do business with people they know love and trust and if you cannot instill that trust in your people then they will be disengaged at work which means they just won't do their job as effectively as they need to be and, and that's the thing is trust and respect. You know, I hear some managers and they are managers, not leaders talk about like, they just don't respect me. And it's, and trust and respect is earned. Like mm. we'll give you a, my theory is always, I'm going to go in there with a, with a neutral aspect. I'll give you some bonus trust or respect because I don't know you yet, <coughs> but your actions and behaviors are going to then be putting deposits in the trust slash respect bank account. Yeah. And if you're not putting those deposits in, it withers very quickly. It absolutely does. And so I think there's two ways you can think about trust. There's people who say um, the people in my world have to earn that trust and I have to earn the trust of others. And then there's other people who say I will automatically trust everybody in my workspace until you do something that diminishes that trust. Yeah. So you've either got a hundred percent and you go down or you've got zero and you've got to work up, but either way trust isn't, an automatic thing it needs to be earned and it needs to be kept and yeah and to keep it is that continual contribution towards the individuals yeah. and so it is like having this relationship listening when you don't want to so when they're going on about oh this is the specific order you should watch star wars movies in to be able to be part of the conversation even if you don't care about the the outcome but then it's about being honest so yeah. if someone, if I had a conversation with this Star Wars guy, like you, I would say, um, I've never watched a Star Wars. Which one should I watch first? Or That is a big question. Can I tell you? As a star, <laughs> I was putting out stuff there just as a sidetrack. Star Wars, Star Wars stuff the other day. I was always miss episodes <laughs> one, two, and three. Watch the Family Guys version of four, five, and six. And then watch the seven and eight on fast forward just to get to the good bits. So that's just it's a little little bonus there for any of the Star Wars aficionados listening. That's my new way of watching Star Wars. I did it the other day when I had man flu. <laughs> that's what I mean. You know, I said to you something about Star Wars. We're now having a conversation about it. Yeah. I actually don't care about Star Wars, but that won't really come through because I'm asking you questions to demonstrate that I'm interested in what you think of it. Because you're and there's my a friend. Difference because I know. Because you're my friend, and I know you love you and trust you. Yeah, and, and so, so there's I a difference. Want to show an interest in what you love. Yeah, there's a difference between I don't care about Star Wars, but I care about you, exactly. and so I can be honest enough to say, look, I'm not a huge fan of Star Wars, but I know you're interested. So yeah, I, I'm I'm interested in the surface level. If you start rabbiting on, I go, I'm going to stop you there. Uh, <laughs> I don't need to go into that detail. And it's the same with you know whether it's cats or cooking or kids or whatever it is, horses, whatever they've got or that you know they're interested in. Okay. Yeah, exactly. 
So that's that's a cool thing to do in terms of um, uh, for for leadership and for making sure that you have that trust and, and and going forward. What are some of the things that people need to do beyond the workplace? Because one of the concerns I have, and I heard Jeff Kennett say it a, a Beyond Blue thing many years ago. One of the biggest causes of death in this country is retirement, particularly for men, because they retire and their identity was their job. And then once they go beyond their job, they're like, well, what do I do? The wives are like, well, we don't want you at home because I've had, you know, 30 years of you going off to work, you know, 40 hours a week. I don't want you under my feet. And you're trying to tell me how I should be running my house now. So how do we, you know, we have that, we're creating these connections inside of work. How important is it to create connections outside of work as well? Oh, it's essential. And like you said, particularly for men, a lot of the men in my world are like you. They've got a couple of friends, if that, but they're, they're more um, colleagues at work or people they play sport with or people they might have some other hobby where they meet and do things on a regular basis connected to that hobby. I think, well, I know, for example, when my mum died, my dad was at a loose end because my mother was the social connector in yeah their relationship but also in our broader family and so it was really interesting watching how the family dynamic shifted with my aunts and uncles and cousins once my mother who was the instigator of the majority of the social connections was no longer around to do that Mm. Um, what was really interesting is quite a few of my aunts said to me we expect you to do this now and I'm like (laughs) I don't care I'm not I've got my own social circle none of you live anywhere near me I'm not going to be the instigator of social activities for the family when I'm a thousand kilometres away from all of you. Some, yeah. one, of, one of you lot can take that responsibility or one of your children can. <laughs> Interesting yeah. that it was me. <laughs> um, but I think, again, again, it's showing interest in people and it's not just relying on Facebook to find out who pe- how people are and what they're up to. Mm. It's picking up the phone and making a call and having a conversation. Or it's organising for a coffee or organising to have lunch or organising to have a drink with somebody. It's just what it, it's, it's getting, again, off the technology and translating those technology-based friendships and relationships into the real world. Mm. And again, I'm not saying technology has no place in this because it absolutely does, but it's making sure you control how you use your technology so it doesn't control you. Because smartphones and apps like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and games like Fortnite and Angry Birds and all the other ones, they are designed to be addictive. The creators of all of this technology study drug addicts to see what their brains do when they're addicted. And they look at the brain waves and how it moves. And then when they create the games and the apps and the phones, they look to see how are people's brain waves matched to the brain waves of addicts. It's clever and scary. Yeah, I'm just I'm sitting here thinking, oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. There's a fantastic book by a guy called Adam Alter, Alter, Adam Alter <laughs> called Irresistible, and he talks at length about the addiction yeah. that is engulfing our society when it comes to smartphones and technology because of the research that was done by the people who create this technology. And it really is an addiction, isn't it? Like, you know, I know there's some, what I would call, you know, normal, logical people. When you suggest to them to just leave their phone behind or to put their phones down, there is a, there's this a, a, a physical response of like, no, I can't do that. 
Um, yep. And you see them without thinking, they just pick up the phone and check social medias or games or whatever it is that they do. So how do we that overcome that? How do we over, knowing it's been created to look like an addiction, mm. feel like an addiction, taste like an addiction, and there are some people who don't succumb to it, but how do we, how do we put the technology in its place as a tool and not a master? So there's actually a name for that condition that's called nomophobia. And nomophobia is the fear of not knowing where your phone is. Wow. It's an actual thing. Yeah. Because you get that flutter in your heart or that sinking feeling in your gut when you can't find your phone. Yeah. We've all been there. Um, so a few ways that I think you can change it is, first, first of all, you need to know what you're playing with. So first of all, go to screen time on your phone and have a look to see how many minutes a day or hours a day you're spending on your phone. And then screen time also will tell you what apps you're using the most. So if you're on your phone for five hours a day and three hours a day of that is Facebook, then a really simple way to remove that is to take Facebook off your phone. Mm. And yes, it's scary and yes, it's hard. But after about 48 hours, you won't miss it. Because I've got to tell you, I've spent, you know, frequently when I'm watching telly with my wife at night, you know, we're on the phones at the same time. And I will have spent, I don't know, an hour and a half farting around on Facebook or whatever. And I, I can consciously look back and go, you know what? That has added no value at all. Yeah. I could have not done that and probably been better off and felt better about myself for yeah. doing it. Yeah. And had better time with your wife as well. Yeah. While you were watching a show together, instead of looking at Facebook during the ads, you might have, you know, had a conversation about it. No, we, 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 don't, we don't wait for the ads for Facebook. We don't watch the show. We're just listening <laughs> as we're playing on our phones. <laughs> I'm multitasking. That's what I'm doing. Which is actually a time, a time suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? And it's just, you know, I was, I was listening to a presentation the other day and, and the whole concept of, when your phone goes bing in the morning and wakes you up and you're lying next to the person that you love, what do you choose, the phone or the person? Mm -hmm. And the number of people I've had conversations with will say the phone. And there's reasons. There's always reasons. Um, I don't want to wake them up or it's too early or it's this, it's that's the other. But it really has, the phone and technology has changed our daily rituals. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said for having a very positive reinforcing ritual in our life that's going to support that yeah and another way you can get around that is buy buy an old-fashioned alarm clock yeah buy either you know an old electric alarm clock that plugs into the wall that you know does its thing in the morning if you need it and then or get one of those wind-up ones so that there's no technology or electricity in your room from it yeah. and use that instead and then keep your phone on silent in another room mm. so one of the things i've started doing because I, I do have an old-fashioned alarm clock, but the alarm function doesn't work. And not surprising, I've had it since I was 12 years old. <laughs> but um, it does show me the time in the middle of the night, so I don't have to pick up my phone to see what time it yeah, is yeah. when I'm awake. Um, but I've started leaving my phone in a different room if I don't need an alarm to wake up in the morning. Yeah. So if I don't need to be up and out early, like super early, then... I just, my natural wake up time is between 6.30 and 7 at the moment. And that's enough. That's early enough. I don't need to be up earlier than that. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and plus, Sean, my husband, gets up early, wakes up early. You know, I'll often wake up or when he's getting up, which is normally about 5.30 or 6. So if I do need to get up super early, then I can set an alarm and 
or I can use his alarm. But that's making a really big difference because that means I'm going to bed. I like to read in bed um, before I go to sleep. So I can go to bed, read a book for half an hour, not have my phone as a constant source of distraction or temptation, go to bed, sleep well, wake up in the morning. And then if my phone isn't by the bed, I normally don't look at it for half an hour or 45 minutes. Whereas if it's by the bed, I pick it up and I spend half an hour in bed looking at it. Yeah. And that's making... And it's really interesting thinking as well, the impact that has on the rest of my day. Because if I just get up and then do something else, like maybe have a cup of tea, um, do a few stretches, maybe go for a walk and don't have my phone, then my attitude for the day is more positive mm. than if I pick up my phone and start looking through social media first thing. Yeah, yeah. Particularly yeah. if there's something bad that's happened overnight. Oh. And there's always something bad because that's what rates and it's just, you know. Yeah. Or if there's something that's really sad that's happened or really tragic, like the death of somebody who I know or the death of a celebrity who I admire or just a a shooting in the US because that always comes through in our early morning news feed, then I I don't want to start the day feeling negative. I want to start the day feeling happy and feeling positive because I'm a naturally optimistic and positive person. But when the first thing you do every morning is look at social media that's curated by an algorithm, it's not, it's hard to wake up and feel happy. Yeah. 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 And again, it's, it's, it's not choosing the way you want to be in the world. <laughs> Mel, I could keep talking to you for ages about this because it's one of my favorite topics, but I've got to wrap things up. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, if they need some help in their organization to connect better, be more productive and more engaged, how can they get in touch with you? Always happy to chat. My website is melkettle.com. My I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on um, Twitter. I'm on Instagram, sort of. I'm on Facebook, sort of. But if you just Google Mel Kettle, then you'll find me um, in lots of different places. And always happy, yeah, to have a chat. My email is mel at melkettle.com as well. Awesome. If you'd like to get in touch, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today, Mel. It's been brilliant chatting with you. That was awesome. Thanks so much, Warwick. Appreciate it. You've been listening to another episode of the Get More Success Show with your host, Warwick Mary. I look forward to your company next time. Thanks for listening to the Get More Success Show with Warwick Mary. Continue the conversation with other successful people over at getmoresuccess.com. That's where you'll find all the show notes as well as a link to our Facebook group that we'd love for you to join. GetMoreSuccess.com is also where you'll find all the information you need to connect with me, your host, Warwick Merry. Thanks for listening, and until next time, enjoy your success.